0: Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is Casey Kasem on American Top 40 in Hollywood. An iconic voice known around the world. He was so instrumental in what he did for America and, you know, what he did for radio. It's a star-studded turnout here at Bel Air Hotel. But
1: behind the microphone and cameras...
0: Where family and famous friends gathered for the wedding
2: of radio icon Casey Kasem and actress Jean Thompson.
1: As soon as my father asked her to marry him, it was downhill from there. A family battle like no other. They
0: killed my husband, they killed their father.
1: This is the story of Casey Kasem and his two families. Carrie Kasem and her
0: hired liars, they all have blood on their hands. He was terrified of her. Terrified. I will still have nightmares because of everything she had us do. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. A wife publicly standing her ground.
1: I love that man so much, I would have died for him. A daughter in a tireless fight until the end. My take the money i want justice for my father bitter blood casem versus casem only on Audible. my dad once told me don't go up against her you don't know what she's capable of
2: hey lovely listeners and welcome back to crime analyst and the intelligence cell now, what you just heard was the trailer for Bitter Blood, Kasem vs. Kasem. And you're curious, right? You want to know more. Well, that's exactly how I felt. It was executive produced by one of my friends and producing partners, Elisa Rosen. And in my opinion, it's a podcast everyone should hear. As soon as I listened to it, I really wanted to speak with Kerry, and you will hear why very soon. It really was a privilege and honor to interview her, and I highly recommend that you listen to the podcast before you listen to this episode. And so I want to give a proper introduction to Kerry, as she's more than just Casey's eldest daughter. She's a tour de force. Kerry, much like her father, is a 23 year veteran of radio and television, having worked as a producer, writer, and host of a multitude of programs throughout the US and Asia. She has anchored music, talk and entertainment programs, including the premier radio networks, Six Sense with Nicky Sense, The Sideshow Countdown, Gervy's Law and many more. Kerry is the preeminent advocate against elder abuse in the United States. And she's the founder of Case and Cares Foundation, a group that fight against unscrupulous guardians and family members that attempt to exploit ailing seniors and separate them from their loved ones. Due to her efforts, a groundbreaking case and cares visitation bill, or a variation, has been passed in 21 states and counting, giving children the legal right to visit their parents for the first time in U.S. history. And as a law reformer and campaigner myself, I can tell you that's no mean feat. And among her many humanitarian awards, Kerry has won the prestigious Presidential Volunteer Service Award and a certificate of congressional recognition for her foundation's dedication to fighting elder abuse and protecting the integrity of the family unit through advocacy. I told you she was a tour de force. And what happened in Casey's case is even more relevant, given everything that's going on with Britney Spears and the issue of conservatorships being exposed once more, along with the urgent need for reform. Definitely give my episodes on Britney's case with Lonnie Coombs and Dr. Jessica Taylor a listen too. Okay, so that was a rather longer introduction than planned, but I wanted to do Kerry justice. And so, without further ado, here's my interview with the amazing Kerry Kasem. Well, today I'm joined by a very special guest, and thank you so much for coming on and joining me, Kerry. It would be great if you could start off with introducing yourself, please, to my listeners. Okay, my
1: name's Kerry Kasem, and. I uh, am the daughter of Casey Kasem, who created the American Top 40 and was the voice of Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. So, and, you know, the younger generation doesn't know who my dad is. I said, well, do you ever watch cartoons? And he did 350 cartoons. So, And during uh, part of his life, towards the end of it, I had to fight to see him. Uh, there's no laws in the United States of America that allow adult children to see their ailing parents if there's an uncooperative caretaker. So I changed the law in almost half the states and I I won the case. I won a very hard case and now I go on to help people all over uh, the United States and I get mail from Canada and Australia and some from some from Europe. But that's what I do along with being a radio and TV host.
2: Well, thank you very much. And yes, I didn't know that your dad voiced Scooby Doo, actually, which was, (laughs) you know, a cartoon I grew up with. And you don't always think about the voice behind the characters. But of course, here in America, he is a national treasure. I mean, everyone knows who he was and, and, uh, you know, was certainly very, very fond of him. And I just want to congratulate you on your advocacy for being your dad's voice. But also helping so many other people and the awards, not just law changes, you've received awards for your advocacy as well. And more recently, you've been part of, or actually it's your story, an eight part podcast called Bit of Blood, which recently dropped on Audible, which I had devoured in one sitting. Uh, writing notes as I was listening. So I feel as everyone says with podcasting that I know you. Um, and I was messaging Elisa, who was, of course, the executive, one of the executive producers. And we were messaging back and forth. And my goodness, I just felt so much compassion for you and empathy, but so much rage. I mean, my anger levels really soared and I was, you know, walking along at points talking. It looked like I was talking to myself, but I was just so incensed by what happened. So say a little bit, of, first of all, just about your dad, about his character and about, you know, him as a person.
1: Well, yeah, I will. I, I just, I have to say that I've been watching you on TV channel. And I think what you do is absolutely amazing. And uh you did another one of Elisa Rosen's podcasts, The First Wife. I thought you did some bonus tracks, which I thought were fantastic. But then I have to say, Elisa Rosen had the courage to take this on and tell this story when, I mean, I've been trying to get this out there for a very long time. And when I realized I wasn't going to court to get justice for my father, I had to let people know like what really went on. And that was through all the depositions of everyone that uh said this is not okay. What was done to this man is is truly evil. And so we you'll hear from the doctors, the nurses, you know, his friends, family members. And I just it was cathartic for me because my dad was was my hero. He was just the the most not I mean people know him as the radio DJs, the broadcasters, American top forty is, you know, but he was a humanitarian. He was an amazing father. And When it came time for me to fight for him, I didn't even know I had it in me, but my dad always fought for the underdog. He was always out there marching, protesting, even getting arrested for sometimes what wasn't even the popular opinion at the time. So I just, I really, I saw that I was my father's daughter when I had to fight for him. I was told by several lawyers, I'd never win. Um, I was told by people, you know, you're going to lose your house. You're going to lose all your money. Uh, you're never going to win a court case against a wife over 34 years and, you know, even my brother and sister in the beginning tapped out pretty much by signing an agreement with uh, my father's wife saying they wouldn't go to court. They wouldn't go after guardianship or power of attorney if they would just, if she would just let them see my dad and you don't find a deal with the devil. You know, when, when somebody is a pathological liar, in my opinion, you, you don't, you don't do that. And what happened, they signed all their, ability to fight away. And they never saw him. They never saw him. So I continued to fight for my dad. It took me eight months, but I won. And I got, you know, I I got conservatorship slash guardianship over my father, which is when, you know, that works. And I still think even though I won that guardianship and conservatorship, like what Britney Spears is in needs to be reformed completely, completely. But when I did win that, you know, my stepmother decided she was going to take him to three different states to hide him from me, and and uh, it's a long story. And that's why, you know, I suggest listening to the podcast to anybody because it really does tell the full story, and not just from my point of view. It's from everyone who was around him, people that didn't even know me. So I do think it's, you know, it's really a fair perspective of like what went on and perspective of what happened, and. I, yeah, it, it, it just, it um it blew my mind how it came out and how well it's been received.
2: Well, it's great that the story has been told. And yes, actually, Tonya Bell's story, The First Wife, I took to Elisa and she said, well, we've already heard about Dirty John. There's no story here. Right. And I right. said, well, actually, there is. Because as you know, there's always a huge amount more behind the scenes. You know, every person, every perspective, every point of view And I said, well, Tonya knew him and was married to him for 10 years. So we decided that we would work on the project. And Tonya really wanted to share her story, much like you felt that she had to give birth to this story, as difficult as it is the whole world listening to every part of your life, which is very difficult because you render yourself vulnerable, don't you? And you've just been on this incredible journey And, you know, I love the quote that you use about that your dad would say to you, to begun is to be half done, that you now share with your children. And this is about legacy. And that is just so important. And as you said, conservatorships have been in the news with Britney Spears. And actually, I've done a number of episodes on Britney. And so now I think the world understands more. But perhaps haven't heard as much about your perspective of someone wanting to see their father, but actually isn't being allowed. And it wasn't just the story about not being allowed. In fact, your case, I mean, I was writing a list, this forced marriage from your dad's side, his mum was forced into a marriage. There's coercive control, stalking, elder abuse, and then, you know, the issue around conservatorship. So let's perhaps start off with, Uh, We talked a little bit about your dad, but your initial, when you realized that you had to start fighting to see him, obviously your brother and sister felt differently. They signed what Gene wanted them to sign and that must have felt very difficult. You said about not signing deals with the devil. That must have been a hard decision and you must have felt quite isolated at that point that you had a different point of view from them. But you decided to carry on to challenge it. And thank goodness you did.
1: Yeah, I did. It was completely uh, you know, a, a different mindset. You know, a completely different mindset. I was willing to risk it all and lose it all. You know, and when you have fear and oh, I can't because of this, I can't because of this, well, you're not going to win. You know, you have to be able to say, I am, this is my dad or this is, you know, my child or whatever, whoever that is that is so important to you. Got to say, I don't care if I lose it all. I'm gonna win this, and I'm gonna fight this. And that—that that was my mindset. And I did, you know. And and another thing, my dad would say that to all of us, but it was my nieces that my sister would say that to. She she's like, oh, you know, I, I my dad would say this to me, and she found herself saying the same things that dad would tell us to her kids. And I thought that was that was very cool. Yeah. So I I, I guess for me in in this entire journey. I really heard my dad's voice in my head. I mean, it was consistent. It was consistent. And, you know, growing up, the most important thing to him was be kind, help people, get an education. And he would always say to us, if, if I buy you this, it won't mean anything to you. But if you work and you buy it, it will, you know, you'll take care of it. You'll have integrity. You'll have work ethic it'll feel good. And you I just didn't get that, you know, when you're a kid you're like, "What? You know, you've got money, you're not going to buy me this or, you know, everybody else has a car, dad, but we don't." <laughs> you know, like uh yeah, he wanted us to work for things and that was I mean the best lesson, it's priceless.
2: And you've certainly learned things at a hard cost in terms of what matters. And you know, the the journey that you went on. I mean, uh, Firstly, it's very difficult for people to understand that your dad chose Jean when it was clear that she didn't like you children actually from quite a young age of the wedding you weren't even invited to, which that must have been incredibly hard. I mean, there's a major red flag there when you were close to your dad and not being allowed to go to that. So there's a shift in the relationship. But you saying to your dad, you know, when you're hearing him being shouted at by her, and worrying about him and him saying, no, it will get better, it will get better. What were you thinking, you know, when you were hearing those conversations? Were you worried about where this was going to end up?
1: Well, this ran the gamut of emotions throughout, you know, the 34 years that she, uh, you know, was married to him and they were married to each other. And The one thing that I can say that I'm very proud of is I always talked to my dad, always. I always had an open dialogue with him. He knew exactly how I felt. And I know at towards the end and when we were having these very long discussions about her, he he did say, I know who she is. I know what she is. And he did feel remorse and upset about the fact that she didn't grow to love us that he really thought that she would. And, uh, and, you know, for sure knew that it was a wrong decision, not inviting us to the wedding. That was definitely something that I think he regretted, but, you know, towards the end, he kind of knew he made a mistake and, but it took him that long, right? It took him 34 years and it took the abuse. It took her having an affair. It took him asking the housekeeper, who, who's that with my wife? What? When he's you know, sick in another room, he's been taken out of, you know, he hasn't slept with his wife in 20 years there and so been sleeping in different beds. And, you know, to hear another man's voice with his wife next door to you laughing and in inappropriate behavior, like disgusting, disgusting. And I think, you know, it, it really took that for him to go, oh my God, I made a mistake. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Find out when you download June's journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games, your detective journey awaits.
2: yes, I mean, the brainwashing that can happen over time, the erosion of of self, and sometimes you're just trying to keep the peace. Yeah. That's why everything that I heard described on the podcast seemed to have the hallmarks of coercive control that right. your dad was actually entrapped within a situation and probably by the time he realized actually it kind of felt too late because he was already then physically and mentally deteriorating and it's very hard when you don't have your own physical and mental autonomy isn't it to to be able to escape something
1: so hard and it was so difficult and at the point he went and he did there were years before when he was First diagnosed with, with what was Parkinson's and the Lewy body dementia. He did say that they had spoken about divorce. And I don't know if he had actually said it or she was just in one of her fits and tyrants and the, your word divorcing and I hate you. I mean, it could have been that, right? But it was the first time I ever heard that. And that was just a few years before his death. And then when there were, there were times where we heard from the PVP attorney that, you know, she had told him that they were divorced and there was so much. Not only physical, but mental abuse and uh, psychological abuse happening. And he felt battered. And I know i said I say that in the um in the podcast, he actually told us, all three of us kids, I'm battered.
2: I'm battered. he said it twice, and he's talking, i mean, what what sounded much more like the psychological, the emotional, the drip, drip, drip. I call it like a war of attrition where somebody just undoes you. in every way, and it seemed that she had that ability to be able to undo him psychologically, but also then in terms of autonomy, every part of his life, and that must have been a very difficult thing for you to understand it was happening, perhaps before he did, and then be trying to articulate it and then having to try and find him all the time, trying to locate him. My goodness, the Vegas. You know, her taking him to Vegas and yeah. not having the medical care that he required. It, it was just heartbreaking to listen to the fact that your dad had worked so hard his entire life. And then when he should be being taken care of physically, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, when he had the money to be taken care of that his health is not being seen as a priority. It must have been very difficult for you.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, we. That was mainly the reason I chased her down so hard and used PIs. And I finally, when I won the conservatorship over my father, uh, he instructed the police and adult protective services to work with me. Cause before that, they really didn't. They didn't, um, especially the police. They were not very kind, I have to say, and, uh, not very helpful. And, not all of them. I don't want to generalize, but for the most part, when we called for help, it was not a fun call. And, you know, they started getting, I don't know, started saying like nastier, nastier things. And because we were so worried about my dad and she's telling them we're just in it for the money. We're estranged. And they're listening to somebody who's a pathological liar. We're like, we're not in it for the money. We are not estranged. Here are pictures. They didn't care. They didn't care. And Adult protective services don't really handle cases like ab- of isolation. You know, well, he's fine; he's being fed. You know, and there, I mean, and, and I and let me tell you something: I am a v- proponent for keeping the police funded. And I and I, I I I I have to say, I'm a a big fan of of our military and the police. So I don't want to say that it was just in these circumstances. And the police that we talked to, we're not we're not very helpful. And adult protective services, I think are over, they're, are just overwhelmed. They don't have enough money. They don't have enough resources. And, and, and this is why I'm like, okay, nobody, if this happens to somebody else, they don't have the money to fight. They don't have the fortitude to fight. They can't say, Hey, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to do this full time. Right. Most people can't do that. Most people don't have enough money to get a retainer for a lawyer, let alone fight an entire court battle. So I, I thought, well, I've got to change the law. I've got to help people because I started getting so many letters and so many, so many, you know, uh social media, like people finding me, hey, I need help. So I couldn't stop at California. I had to, I had to continue and I'm going to continue until like I talk about this in the in podcast, until I have all 50 states, until, you know, there's a federal bill that protects us all because we're all going to get old. God willing, we're all going to get old.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a very important point. We're all going to get there one day. And of course, the people that we have around us are going to be instrumental in what happens to us. And I think, I mean, the point around law enforcement, it is it is an interesting one and protective services. And I was going to ask you, what did you think were the barriers for them assisting? And I do think that oftentimes, yes, it's volume, but it's also a lot of professionals don't really understand coercive control. And changing the law in England and Wales was the first part of training professionals to understand that abuse isn't always physical. And the psychological stuff can be far more damaging. In fact, having worked with thousands of victims, that's what they all tell me. They tell me the psychological, the emotional, the drip, 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 the undoing of self is far more damaging than the physical, where the bones will mend and the bruises will fade. And, you know, we've got to remember that, of course, she was also very articulate very plausible and therefore you're up against a situation where you may have professionals who do want to help but they don't really understand what they're dealing with and they don't really understand is there any legislation to help
1: so every year for let's see the last six years we've had case in cares now almost seven years but for six years uh five years out of that we've had a conference. And three years out of that, we've done it with the uh, District Attorneys Association. And that's DAs from all around the United States, also social workers. We have uh, the police and and the the Adult Protective Services as well. And they come to this conference and there's hundreds. And we've been able to talk about the red flags, what you should ask, what you should do. People didn't know how to approach this type of abuse. You know, it's isolation. The person might be getting fed and might even get their medicines right. Not in my case, but they might. But if you're not letting them take phone calls or see their loved ones or letting them go outside or you're maybe you're not giving them communications that like people have called or taking away their computer, which is all illegal. Those are all offenses. Uh You can't take away someone's communication. That's in the Bill of Rights that was passed 30 years ago. So we will, we, we, we definitely inform and we educate and we play. There's a, there's a, a great documentary called The Guardian. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen it?
2: No, I haven't.
1: Okay. And it shows what guardians, fraudulent guardians do to the elderly. It's human trafficking and the vulnerable. Like you see a lot of, a lot of people call me with handicapped children that have been taken by guardians and they can't see their kids. They can't see mom or dad. People can't see, and it's and it's illegal to take away someone's ability to communicate. And so we will give them that law. We will tell them what to do. We'll tell them what to ask the victims themselves. And so that's one way we've been helping, along with changing laws. But this Free Britney movement, I have to say, has just really put a spotlight on what you know myself and my team at Case and Cares has been trying to do for seven years. And that's to say, this is. Human trafficking. This is not okay. You can't take away somebody's civil rights, somebody's human rights, because they've had a mental breakdown or they have a little bit of dementia or their body's not working anymore. The only time you should ever take, I mean, go that far is if somebody's a vegetable and that's it. But they're not functioning
2: on on any level. And I think that what Brittany Spears' case has really shown is how. These things can be exploited and exploited quite easily. And I think you started off by saying that there needs to be reform because we do need to be able to have care processes, but there needs to be reform. I right. call what happened to Brittany draconian. You know, it's like something yeah. from the dark ages and for her lawyer and or previous lawyers and others to say, which well, is a high functioning conservative when. The whole point of the process is when you're not high functioning, it's for the opposite end when you cannot function at all. That's right.
1: That's exactly right. And we're seeing this with elderly who have uh, their cognitive ability is still there, but maybe they can't get around so well. And you will find these predatory guardians, and not all guardians or conservatives are bad. And let me make that very clear. But you find these predatory ones that have literally... Eight hundred people that they're supposed to be taking care of. How do you take care of three, four, five 800 people? And mm. all they are is just a money making machine. That's it. They keep them. It's you know, it really is over medicate these these people. It's 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 um. There's a great saying, uh, and I use it in the in the uh, thing, and it's isolate, over medicate, steal the estate. And that is exactly what these predators do. And when you isolate, you can, you know, whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, isolation, when you get that person isolated, you can do whatever you want to them. So it's the first thing they do is they vilify the loved ones and everybody and all the friends are all bad. And that's a huge red flag. You know, the, the person that your mom or dad is with is saying, well, this person's bad, that person's bad. You know, the kids are bad. Every That is such a huge red flag. And if that is happening to anybody listening to this, get a lawyer, ASAP, um, contact case and cares, ASAP. You know, mom or dad can't come to the phone. They're too tired. They're not getting your messages. Those are huge red flags. So please, um, if you can stop it before the uh, perpetrator has gotten complete and full control over your loved one, you need to do so. Because trying to get a loved one out of guardianship or conservatorship is
2: almost impossible. Yeah, and that's what we're we're seeing at the moment. But of course, you lived it for a very yeah. long time. And I, I think it's good that Britney Spears has found her voice and that it is being spotlighted, because I have to say I had no idea that, that that was possible. I know that women tend to be pathologized more than men, but just in terms of her freedoms, her basic fundamental human rights and constitutional rights that have been stripped away. It, it really is shocking and I'm glad that everybody now is paying attention and serendipity and synchronicity really that your story has dropped and landed at exactly the same time. It's like your dad, your father is pushing in a certain direction. I don't know if that's how you feel about it. I, I mean, people said, did you plan this? I'm like, I had no
1: idea Brittany had a court date that I was going to speak at in front of a courthouse. I had no idea. You know, We'd been working on this this uh, podcast for a year and it was audible's decision when it was going to be released and i said look my dad's, you know um the day he died is june 15th and that also happens to be world elder abuse awareness day that uh you know the un united nations decided that my dad died on world elder abuse awareness day that doesn't get that's a sign right there right it's a sign he also died on father's day of that year that's a sign now you know, like, like you said, there's some, there's something bigger kind of pushing this. And, uh, yeah, people all thought that we had done that together. And I said, no, it had absolutely no, we had no idea. So uh, it, it is amazing. And it has gotten my plight and people who've gone through this. It's gotten our voices out there in a big way.
2: Absolutely. And, you, and your father's voice right at the center of it and i think that that's also what you've managed to do is recenter him when he lost his voice for so long and and that was also heartbreaking because his voice was his instrument and to hear yeah. everything that you experienced and you describe and actually everyone who knew him you know good friends and people who had worked for him for 20 plus years describe what was going on it it was absolutely heartbreaking in in points i have to say certainly you know towards the end when you're talking about the unmarked grave I I can't even imagine how that would feel when you love your father so much and he is so loved and he wanted to be buried in California for him to be in an unmarked grave it's just such a callous disregard for your father hey lovely what's your makeup go to What do you need to face the day? Now for me, if I apply my eyeliner, my brilliant eye brightener, mascara and red lipstick, I feel ready to face anything. But I know every now and again I need to zhuzh up my makeup and my amazing sponsor Thrive Cosmetics has a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look. With clean, skin-loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. Also, Thrive Cosmetics' Bigger Than Beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors and women who are homeless. Now, if you want to wreck from me, you cannot go wrong with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. Thrive Cosmetics Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara has a unique formula which creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. And they use nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. Plus, it's super easy to remove and slides right off with warm water and doesn't leave smudges. So treat yourself or someone you love and help women thrive together. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crimeanalyst. That's ThriveCosmetics, Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash crimeanalyst for 10% off your first order. Before Kerry responds, I want to take a moment to tell you about my amazing sponsor, my sponsors are the reason why crime analyst is free to you all so please do take a moment to check them out and support the show i can't do it without them thrive cosmetics makes high performance vegan 100 percent cruelty-free products without the use of parabens or sulfates not only are their products awesome thrive cosmetics has a bold mission that's truly bigger than beauty for every product purchase Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive, including women emerging from homelessness, surviving domestic abuse, or fighting cancer. Of course, the fact they're for women and about women and giving back, particularly around domestic abuse and fighting cancer with the donation of funds or products means that I'm 100% in and you should be too. This is a beauty brand that goes beyond skin deep and has heart and is on a mission. And I love every product I've tried. The Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara is their best-selling mascara that mimics the look of lash extensions without the damaging effects of glue or expensive salon prices. It's flake-free, clump-free, and smudge-free. And it's made with clean, nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier-looking lashes over time. Don't just take my word for it. Check out the 11,800-plus five-star reviews. But my absolute favourite is the Brilliant Eye Brightener, which is a cream-to-powder highlighter stick that brightens and opens your eyes, providing an instant eye lift, and it's my new secret weapon. There are 13 shades to choose from. The darker shade, like Moona, gives an instant smoky eye, and who doesn't love a bit of smoky eye? And the lighter shades, like Stella, Estrella and Aurora, instantly illuminates and awakens the eyes for the perfect everyday glow. I love this product so much, I bought one for everyone who came to my baby shower. Thrive Cosmetics products are amazing, and their bigger-than-beauty mission is inspiring. So jump on board and get 15% off your first order using my special offer. Just go to thrivecosmetics.com forward slash analyst. That's Thrive, C-A-U-S-E, M-E-T-I-C-S dot com forward slash crime analyst for 15% off your first order. Thrivecosmetics.com forward slash crime analyst. And if you didn't get that, you can find the link in the show notes. Okay, let's jump back into the interview with Kerry.
1: You know, she 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 this just this really sums up who this person is. She did not care. And uh, I mean that's that's saying it nicely. But to take my father and try and bury him in Israel, lie on his death certificate that he was living there for 18 years and some fake address or wherever, whatever she put on there my, when my dad had never been to Israel, my dad has Lebanese roots. And, you know, she knew that if we had our passports stamped with a Lebanese, you know, stamp from, from Lebanon, that we, it was going to ha- we were going to have a hard time getting into Israel. And she, you know, she knew that she wanted to bury him where we could never, ever, ever go and pay our respects and, or anybody else. Right. So they rejected her. By the way, she spelled my dad's middle name wrong and didn't know my dad's parents' name. And so nothing, the whole, the whole, the whole ridiculous death certificate was, I mean, it was completely fraudulent. So then she tried to get him into France and they said no. So then she tried to bury him five miles from her boyfriend's uh childhood home in um, Montreal, uh, Quebec, I think it was. And and then we stopped that because that was all over the news. And then she wrote a fraudulent letter to Norway stating she was Norwegian. Uh, and that my dad always wanted to be buried there and that she was gonna live there and tend to my father's grave for the rest of her life. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I called her family and they wrote a whole letter saying we are not Norwegian. We, my grandma never lived in Norway. She's not Norwegian. This is a complete lie. This is fabricated. And of course, she never moves there. She's never gotten him a headstone. And she's with her boyfriend somewhere in Guam or wherever, you know. So it, it's just, it's it's a pathetic, uh it's just, it's one more thing that she did. You know, she couldn't respect him in life. So, you know, and in, 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 even in death, she disrespects his wishes, his dying wishes to be buried in California where he always wanted to be, live for 58 years.
2: Heartbreaking and it being your, your father. And I guess, you know, my analysis of that, her taking those decisions, the, the callous disregard. It, it also seems that she was far more motivated by seeking revenge and on all of you uh, to the detriment of your father and at all costs, which tells me much more about the psychological makeup of her. You know, of why would you take those steps? Why would you go so far to isolate him, even in death, and to create such distance between you all? It, it's just to such an extreme level. I mean, in my opinion, she's a
1: sociopath. Everything I've read on sociopaths, everything that I've... You know, when you when you have some, you can't understand why they're so cruel. They're so cruel, and you don't... Like, I, I kept... Making the mistake of thinking she was going to like me or thinking she was going to change. But when you really truly dive into a sociopathic mind, they can't change. They, and they can't seek help because everybody else is wrong, but them. It is everybody who's doing something to them. They have done this to me. You know, I am the one who's been wronged and they will lash out people that lash out at people who have never done anything wrong to them because they're so afraid and so fearful that they're going to, somebody's going to come and attack them. And it's this constant living in fear. So there's, you know, been sociopaths who've actually written books about how they truly like feel or not feel about people and how they have to pretend to have different emotions so that they can be accepted. And I just, I mean, it was her to the T, to the T so I, I, and, and this is my research, in my opinion, she's a, she's a true sociopath. And it's sad because it's like, and I've said this all along, she could have had an, a beautiful family and we would have loved her, you know, and it, instead it's just, she made enemies out of us.
2: Yes. I mean, the whole time I was listening, I have to say, I was curious about whether psychopathy was present um there's certainly a lot of characteristics of psychopathy and the the big difference between a psychopath and a sociopath i don't know if you know is the the lack of empathy and psychopaths have zero empathy and they believe what they're doing is absolutely right whereas a yeah. sociopath knows what they're doing is wrong but they carry on regardless
1: that's what i think that's no, i think she knows that that's the, the and i and i do absolutely Believe she knows what she's doing, just because of the stories that we've heard from you know the people who worked with her. She knew exactly what she was doing. Shes knew exactly and very vindictive in knowing what she was doing. But
2: maybe she's is it possible to be both? Is it possible? Not really. you there tends to be a distinction. I mean, there's twenty traits of a psychopath, and it, it's really that lack of empathy. You know they actually feel nothing. there's no they can destroy someone. They don't feel anything when they're doing it. And I I think, I mean, I heard a lot of what I would call darvo within yeah. the, the behavior, which is to deny, attack, and reverse the victim and offender. And so there's a claim for her of, of victimhood. And that was clear right from the start that you were all keep creating this circus and drama rather yeah, than actually right. it was the other way around, right? Okay. So there, there are some very clear markers which are very concerning and that seems to be the higher uh or i guess what she's invested in far more than unfortunately the needs of your father well maybe
1: it's far worse than what i thought she was maybe she is a psychopath because you know it's uh i don't feel like there was any care at all especially towards the end where she's not giving him any pain medication and he's in severe pain severe pain won't have 24-hour care has you know a nurse they they hire um an, a nurse or a facility that will come once a day or every other day or whatever it was and give him shots intermuscular shots instead of an iv which he needed so badly but they had no license to give an iv so this is the kind of people she hired people that were not you know they were not uh, they did not have licenses and they did not like the CNA like a nurse's assistant, not a nurse. you know they they were not equipped to take care of my father. And when you heard the doctor on the podcast that you know ten out of ten pain is probably you know what my dad was in. and uh, and there was no 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 pain that's given. Who does that to somebody? Mm-hmm. That, I mean it's just who does that? Who can watch their husband with these massive sores? And sweating, and scared, and not get him, not take him to the hospital right away, and say, you know, honey, let's get you out of this pain.
2: Yeah, the suffering, which, which is really concerning, the way that he was left, you know, that that was heartbreaking. And I have to say, perhaps your father felt he couldn't articulate even the pain. And I wonder why, whether there was a fear of consequence if he did. You know, we don't all know really what was going on behind closed doors, but what we can see, Kerry, is that it was horrific. I mean, if the doctors were saying he was malnourished and all the things that he wasn't being taken care of, I can only imagine that actually him speaking out or even saying anything may well have led to something more serious being done to him. Could be. I hate that thought, but that's, again, these are just classic markers of coercive control, of someone utterly dominating another, and through fear, you know, that your father lost his voice, and he lost his own autonomy, and you were trying to be that voice, and the the stalking and the obsessive nature around sort of the transference of her attention to you to destroy you was equally very... Concerning to me, I mean, I would put it into a high risk bracket if that case was across my desk. Um, and I was very disappointed to hear your battle with law enforcement of trying to get them to understand, even though one of the detectives did say that he felt it was elder abuse, um, yes. if perhaps there were a coercive control law in California, which I'm talking to the Senator about and have been for some time, we've got it into the Family Court act, but not into the criminal side. And I still really want to see it in the criminal side. So yeah. the law enforcement can be trained and the DAs can be trained and that they understand it's a constellation. It's a collection of behaviors. It's not just one thing, but yeah. it's a collection of things where someone is entrapped and dominated and they lose their autonomy and somebody else gains as a consequence of it. Yeah, true.
1: And that is true. Uh, the detective, the head detective of the, uh, the elder abuse unit in Santa Monica did say, and this was after I begged him to take the case on. This is after my PI showed him like, Hey, look, here's this. Here's this. Here's this. Please check it out. And after two weeks, he came back and said, if this isn't a case of elder abuse, I don't know what is. It was the one guy, the one guy that said, I'll take a look for you. And, and that was it. Nobody else would lift a finger. Even the file a missing persons report. Nobody wanted to take it. You know, she has him off across state lines, a very sick man. And they, they didn't take that seriously either. But, you know, I think now with how much this is getting out there in the media and, and people are talking about it, I think there is a shift. I do think there's definitely a shift and and that they are prosecuting, you know, guardians who have done this to people, meaning like kept their families out, over-medicated, killed people. And this is what The Guardian is about, the The movie. It's, it's a, if you want to know why I fight so hard, you want to know why I do this, and you want to know what evil is, watch that film. Because this is what I'm up against when I deal with cases. It's it's these people and you, the judges, the the PVP attorneys, the attorneys, the uh, guardians. It's like once they ha- they are they they have a person trying to get them out of their clutches is nearly impossible. Yeah.
2: Yes. Well, they have too much to lose as well. It's not just the system. It's kind of state sanctioned, isn't it? But I. I think sometimes people just boil it down to, well, it's just two women who've fallen out or it's bad blood. And I I kept hearing that across even, you know, bitter blood. Actually, no, it's much more pathological than that. It's not just about a fallout. And I think particularly when it can be two women, i.e. that you ended up being the subject of her fixation, you were just trying to do things for your father from what I've observed and, and from talking to you, but... People label these things as, you know, this phrase side trip to crazy town as if it's just sort of women acting out when it's really not. It's much more than that. It's much more pathological and actually it's much more dangerous. The stakes are really high.
1: It is really high and it's, it's life or death. Trying to tell somebody who thinks it's a family dispute, well, you must have done something to her. You, they don't get the, I guess, psychopath or sociopathic mind. They don't understand that they turn everything on you. And I'll tell you, that's how we won the case. And so I won the case. Every time she, she accused me of doing something, I'm like, she's doing this. Let's go look. She's doing this. She's stealing. She's every time that she made that accusation, she was doing it herself. So we are one step ahead of her always, always. And that's why when she would said it, like in court, we'd be like, oh, Really? How about this? Oh, really? We haven't seen our dad for how many months? Here's a videotape of the week before he told us we can never see him again. Oh, you know, we stole money. Here's my bank accounts. Let's see yours. Oh, well, wait, we stole money, but yet Little Miss Liberty uh, is down $10 million. My dad gave you $10 million by 2007. Oh, really? Like we're stealing money? What about, and then we would name people that she's stolen money from. It's like, we were always a step ahead because she would accuse us of what she did, always.
2: Yeah, which is classic um, narcissism. Actually, in projection that whatever you're doing, you accuse the other person of. It goes back to the Darvo. So it sounds like yeah. you had worked out the patterning of behaviour, and she was consistent because you weren't. You made it clear you weren't after money at any point. You were prepared to lose everything. You just wanted your father. Yeah. First of all, to be alive and well, but then thereafter, you want to be reunited with him and be able to grieve properly, because yeah. how do you grieve when all of this is going on, when there's a war that someone keeps bringing to you i mean that's that's really challenging. Just you've been fighting for so long, Karen, and I can't imagine how that must feel like because it seems like for for many, many years you've just been in the fight. Well, I'm not, I'm not
1: angry, which is crazy. People don't understand this. I've done, I guess, a lot of work on myself, but I'm not angry or mad at her anymore. I know what she is Uh, and I feel very bad for her. Like It must be a horrible, horrible, sad life that she is living. Very lonely, very scary, very angry. And I'm not going to give her any of that. My, I'm not going to. It would poison me to be angry, right? It would be poison me to be upset all the time. I There's no way I would give her that. No way. You know, and I sometimes actually like send her off with love. And I can do that. Before, there was no way. Like growing up, I wanted her dead. You know, I'm like, I just, how is she doing this to my dad? Why is she doing this to us? You know, and I'd pray every night, please, you know, God fix this. <laughs> and, um, and it never—it went away. It got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, I just—I just said, no, "This not gonna be. I'm not gonna have any hatred or anger for her anymore." And that cleared the way for me to think properly. Cleared the way for me. Didn't didn't mean I didn't cry or wasn't sad about my dad or didn't. But I just was like, "I'm just gonna let all that hatred and anger go." And uh, and I did. And it and it really it behooved me. I guess in the last year writing for him.
2: Yeah. So what what are the next steps? Are there are there things that are unresolved? Is there? Can you say anything about? Is he coming back to? Are you bringing him back to Los Angeles? Or can you not say anything about that? Or what, I mean, how look, are I, things?
1: You know, I I want to and I will and uh, I don't know how how long it will take me, but he will he will be buried in America where he will be buried where he wanted to be. He, you know, that was his last wish. He will get that however long it takes it might take a little while but it'll happen
2: good and hearing that Unki would go to the grave I mean it's still not the same as you all being able to go there and your children and you to be able to go and speak to him and feel in his presence you know which must be very difficult but at least you know that someone's going there and and tending the grave
1: Yes and no. I'll tell you why. My dad, uh, believed very much in reincarnation. So he didn't believe we're with the body. So he's not hovering over his dead body. That's definitely something we were raised with. He is, he is with us. If he's not, you know, reincarnated into another person already, but, um, and I believe that I believe the same thing. I do not believe that we hover, um, at least most of us. Don't hover over our dead bodies. You know, when you and most religions believe you go somewhere after you die, whether it's hell or heaven or whatever paradise you may think, or if you're Buddhist, you believe in reincarnation, whatever it may be, your your spirit, your soul goes somewhere, right? You don't take your body with it. And so that uh, was very, very important for us to know when he, when he explained that is that he is not his body. And that's one thing that I will always uh, take. And I knew that he was with me. I, 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 I could feel him and I, I would bring his body back because that's his wish. Because there are other people who may not believe the same as him. There may, there are other people who do not believe the same as me and they want to pay respects. They want to be able to, to be there with his body. And that's, I, I respect all religions and I respect all points of view. And that is also, you know, where he wanted to be buried and where Mike Kerb, one of his best friends said, Casey, I'll I'll handle the burial. And he wrote that letter to Norway too, you know, saying, Hey, you know, this is what Casey wants, what he told me. And I was going to pay for the funeral, but it it didn't happen.
2: And everyone is different. Like you say, I mean, the the case I've been covering in crime Analyst, the women who are all murdered and sadly there were many of them, all the children now are campaigning to have a memorial garden and they want one place where they can all go to remember their mums and you know they've done a GoFundMe, and I'm helping put that out there and now the the local council have said that they will support it and they're going to do a project educating young girls and, and boys alongside it but the families have never had that one place to go to for them that's really important a memorial garden that we remember the victims not the, the killer. Everyone knows who the killer is and their right. their name. But for me, it was just this, for you, you know, and I am an empath, it was just that feeling, your dad is out there isolated somewhere when he was so loved and he has all these people who love him and, you know, all his fans and people who would like to have somewhere to go. Sure. And that's that's the difficult part, that he's somewhere so distant and so remote that you don't, that's been taken away from you, I guess. That it should have been your choice, right? And his choice. It was
1: was his choice. And wherever he wanted to be is where he should be. That is where, you know, if he wanted to be in Norway, I would have taken him there myself. he wanted to be in Israel, I would have taken him there myself, you know. That's not where he wanted to be. She's just disrespected him in life and disrespected him in death. And she continues to do so. So we will, we will fix that. That will, that I I know, and it will be before I die, he will be back here.
2: I believe you. I believe (laughs) you You fought incredibly hard and case and cares. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, I'm sure people listening to this, you know, some of my listeners may not just have empathy for what you've gone through, but maybe going through it themselves. And, you know, it happens all across the world. What would be your advice to someone who's experiencing this? What would you say to them? Thank you so
1: much for asking that. Because I, you know, my advice is before you experience this, please, please, if you have kids, if you are a kid, talk to your parents, you know, make a plan. Because if you don't make a plan, somebody's going to do it for you and you're not going to like it. And, you know, even 18, once you turn 18, you need to have a plan. I mean, you could, you may not have a dollar in your pocket, but let's say something, something tragic happens to you. What do you want? Do you want to be on life support? Do you not want to be on life support? How long do you want to be on life support? If you're a vegetable, do you want to be unplugged? Like, what do you want done if something happened? Let's say you have a cat or dog. Who do you want taking care of them? Right. So it, it, it once you turn 18, please make a plan. But in saying that, if you are a mom and dad, Please talk to your kids about what you want. Please. You know, this isn't something that needs to be handled with paperwork afterward and a will reading. Let your kids know. And not only do that, tape yourselves talking to your kids. So there's no fight at the end. Well, mom, you know, or, or mom wouldn't have wanted that. Of course, mom would want that. No, mom wouldn't. And you don't want your kids fighting up for that. You want to know exactly what you want and what your wishes are. Always leave somebody who you want to take over, you know, as guardian or power of attorney or conservator. You know, please, that is so important. Talk to your kids, get a plan in place, videotape it, hold up a uh, you know, and, and if if you are uh worried about mom or dad now and they they have capacity, get them on videotape holding a newspaper so it's the date. You can see the date because these abusers will use that against you. They'll say, we don't know when that was filmed. So hold a newspaper and say, if anybody in my care keeps me away from my loved ones, from my friends and family, name the people. They should be removed from my care immediately. And then tell, you know, go on to say what you want. And that should be on video. That should be, you know, with a lawyer in, in your will and estate plans. Even if it's just simple, please, please, please have that conversation because I cannot tell you all the people I work with they, mom and dad didn't write anything down. Mom and dad didn't talk to the family about what they wanted, and now they're guessing. You know, don't leave it on your kids, and 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 talk to mom or dad. Talk to mom or dad. If, you know, if you, there's a, even if there's, you know, you have a step parent that you're worried about, talk to them.
2: That's excellent advice because I think we all leave those things because we don't want to go there. It's too difficult to go there. Yeah. But actually, the lessons from what happened with your dad. And, you know, I really wanted to focus on the prevention stuff. You know, what have you learned and what would you you tell someone? I think it's just so powerful that we do think about that now and we do know what our loved one's wishes are. And your team run a, a hotline, a helpline of sorts as well, yes. don't they?
1: Yes. So if you yeah, go to caseandcares.org, we have a helpline there and it's people who answer it. Julie Belshi runs it, but people who answer it, or uh have gone through this. They've gone through it and they know exactly what it feels like. So sometimes people just need to call for support and we are there. So you yeah, can you can email us at uh you know caseandcares.org there's emails there and there's a phone number there and we do what we can to help.
2: Excellent. Well thank you for everything you're doing and I'm I'm pretty confident we'll be talking again as yeah. I'm Pushing through coercive control laws in across multiple states and in Australia. And I think that. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. That, there's definitely some synergy here. And, you know, I want to support you as, as much as I can as well. What would be your, what are your thoughts on Britney Spears case, Kerry? Where do you, what do you think is going to happen? Because there's another hearing, isn't there at, yeah. at the end of September?
1: Well, I mean, I, I can't say where Britney's mental status is now because we don't know how much medication she's on. We don't really know, uh, you know, what has happened to her the last thirteen years. We we really have no idea. But I'll tell you something: I don't care if you've had a mental breakdown or there's, you know, there's some impairment or whatever. I don't care who you are, Britney Spears or somebody who's off the street. Taking away your civil rights and taking away your human rights is a jail sentence. It's torture it's horrific and that has got to end so I hope to God that she gets her freedom back and if she needs help okay there's other ways to help somebody besides literally taking everything from them and putting them like you said under draconian law it's disgusting it's just it's a it's I, I, I had to deal with so many and it's sometimes like you can't save these people and they die without ever seeing their kids again. They die without ever having a phone call or, or, you know, they're begging some, some of the elderly that we've worked with or, or, you know, they'll get, they'll get a, they'll get a cell phone and they'll make a video and put it up on YouTube. And you can see these people crying up for help. What have I done? I'm the veteran. Why am I, why am I locked up like this? Why are they giving me medication? I don't want, why can't I see my family? And they'll get it up on YouTube. And for the most part, we can't save most of these people. It's it's really horrific. So but we've got to change the laws.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, Brittany's voice is very important in that. I think anyone talking about a conservatorship in terms of a business model, there's a major red flag there because that's yeah. not what they were there for. They're not there to make people money or to uh, give people money and to have a whole set of people being paid by somebody that's being controlled it it just makes no sense at all so I think the serendipity synchronicity part has just been incredible and I applaud you and thank you so much for your advocacy and I've really enjoyed talking with you and I know we'll talk again so thank you so much
1: and anything you need help with i'm there i will come testify i will talk i would you know and i'd love it if you do the same for me and you know if we get the conference up and running i would love to have you as you speak but yeah i absolutely would love to work with you
2: sounds wonderful i think i found a kindred spirit for sure yes. and uh, i could i felt the connection just listening to you on the podcast which was amazing thank for you for sure for sure thank you And here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. The first is a huge thank you to all of you, my lovely listeners and crime analysts for tuning in every week. The second is an ask. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to me on. It really helps others find me and helps with the ratings. So thank you, thank you. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Tim Hansen at Half Ogre Studios. Cover art and graphics by Chris Raybottom at Syndicate. And music by Kilrood.